we looked at worship and what the implications are for what is going on inside of us. That was the inside part of Inside Out Worship. This week, we're going to be looking at the outward aspect. And so let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into this. There's a lot of ground to cover. If you would pray with me, I'd appreciate it. Father God, we are so thankful, Lord, for your word. We are so thankful that you are so clear about what you desire from us as worshipers, Lord. You are seeking true worshipers who worship the Father in spirit and truth. So our prayer this morning, Lord, would be what the psalmist sang, and that is, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you, Lord. Help us to do that today. Help us to rejoice, sing for joy, and exalt in your name by your mercies and grace, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You guys ready? Thank you. All outward signs of worship are responses to something or someone. All right, let me say that again because it's important. All outward signs, the outward signs, what it looks like physically, all outward signs of worship are responses to something or someone. We respond, we're built to respond to things. Let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, my family and I traveled and visited the Grand Canyon, and we were traveling from Page, Arizona, which is, uh, so it, it meant we were approaching the canyon from the eastern side. And we're driving in our van, and we've got the GPS there on the dash, and we could tell from the GPS that we were riding alongside the canyon. We were right next to it, but we couldn't see it because there was this stand of ponderosa pines for miles and miles and miles. And so you knew it was there, but you couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, we rounded a, a bend in the road, and there was a big gap in the trees, and we finally saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. And all seven people in that van went, whoa! It's just like everybody all at once just reacted. Now, we've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon a million times. It wasn't like it was a shock that there was such a thing that existed. But when we saw it with our own eyes, there was just an automatic reaction because we're built that way. Not every response is like that, like super reactionary. Sometimes we're drawn towards something and our response is very intentional. But we're made to be that way. It's the way the Lord created us. And those responses, all of those things, whether they're intentional, kind of drawn out and slow, or if they're instant reactions, those are the outward signs of worship because we're displaying what we cherish. We saw the Grand Canyon and we were amazed by it. In a way, we cherished it, and so we responded. So we're going to be talking about those responses today, our response in worship to the Lord and what that looks like. But we need to review from last week. All right, I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, but we have to review from last week because if we only talk about the outside things of worship, we run the risk of doing things just to do them and to be worshiping in vain, to be what Isaiah and then Jesus said was this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
We don't want our hearts, if we're seeking to be true worshipers, we don't want our hearts to be far from the Lord. So we're going to build a foundation by reviewing what we did last week, and then we're going to get to the outward stuff. So this is what we said last week. Humans are worshipers. We like things. We like people. We like ideas. We like concepts. We like stuff. And then we seek satisfaction in those things. We pursue them. We care for them. We attend to them. We prioritize things in our life because we are drawn to it. The, one of the points I made last week was we cultivate what we cherish. We cherish things, and so we pursue them. And so we've got to be really careful as those who want to be true worshipers of the Lord that we are cherishing the right things. Now, if you remember at the end of last week's sermon, I gave you some homework. I hope you did your homework. The homework was to be self-reflective. And, and if you didn't, if, you, if you're thinking right now, oh man, I, I completely forgot to do that this week, you can start doing it right now. To be self-reflective and ask yourself the question, what things do I cherish? What are the things in my life that are of highest priority to me? Because those are the things that you're going to pursue. And it's really super important because if you remember from last week, eventually when you cherish something and you pursue it, pursue it we use the word cultivate a lot, which is I'm using as a synonym for worship. If we worship it, we will bear fruit in it. So the fruit in our lives for good or ill is going to come from what we cherish. Now, a little side note before we go any further. Some of you may be thinking that the outward signs of worship are going to be that fruit that we bear. We cherish something, we cultivate, then we bear fruit. That's the outward sign. And, and that's, you can make a reasonable argument for that. I'm going to argue today that that fruit that we bear is something else. And it's something really, really fantastic. And I'm going to make you wait till the end of the sermon to tell you what it is. But I think that the outward signs of worship, the things that we're studying today, are those acts of cultivating and responding that happen in the middle. We cherish, we cultivate or worship, and then we're going to bear fruit that's pretty amazing. All right? Another point that we made last week was that worship must begin in the heart. We were looking at John 4, but if you go back one chapter to John 3, there's this excellent account of Nicodemus meeting Jesus, and he's asking him some questions, and Jesus says to him uh, in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and this totally flummoxed Nicodemus. Like, he had no way in his mind to categorize what Jesus just said. You have to be born again? Like that, we're used to hearing that term. Nicodemus, it like made his head explode, right? He couldn't understand what he was talking about. What Jesus was saying is that every human being needs two births. You were all born physically. Jesus said you're born by the water, but you must also be born by the Spirit, and unless you're born by the Spirit, you will not have spiritual life. That's what Jesus was talking about. That is often referred to as regeneration, and regeneration requires an act of God. We cannot regenerate ourselves. 
We cannot experience that spiritual birth on our own. We can't achieve it. It requires the grace of the Lord. This is what Jesus was talking about when He said that we must be born again. So, worship must begin in the heart, but it's not only about being born again. Because Jesus also said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's from Matthew 22. What he's saying is that Jesus, we need this new creation heart, but he also wants all of us. And the beautiful thing is, when he calls us to that, he also does it for us. He begins this process. He gives us new affections that give birth to new desires. And so, another one of the points we made last week, and if you're keeping track, these are not in the same order as I did them last week. One of the other points was we must worship in spirit and truth, with all capital letters, must. When you see that must, don't think we have to or we are being forced to. What that means, what that means for our heart is, remember, we pursue, we cultivate the things that we cherish. So, when the Lord gives us this new heart and it comes with new affections and new desires, the result will be, it must be, worshiping the Lord because this new heart has those new affections and desires that takes us in that direction. And finally, just as review for last week, we said this, we must worship with a true perception of Jesus. Remember, we must worship in spirit and truth. We said that spirit was the how of worship and truth was the who of worship. That word truth is referring to who we worship. And the answer is Jesus, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we worship in truth, we are worshiping Jesus. And so we must be careful to make sure that we are worshiping a true perception of who the Lord Jesus revealed Himself to be in the Scriptures. As Christy Huff said last week after the sermon, it was so great, I wish I could claim this for myself, but I didn't think of it. This is totally Christy's. She said, true worshipers are truth worshipers. True worshipers are truth worshipers. So that's our foundation that we have to build on today. We're going to, from this point forward, we're going to be looking at what the outward aspect of worship is. But none of it means anything if we're just doing it to check off, check off boxes as these are things that Christians should do. It has to come from a heart that has been changed, affections that are new and desiring the Lord, and they must be based on a truthful perception of Jesus. We good so far? All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at these five ways to cultivate. And I think it said, yes, it says worship in parentheses. These are ways to cultivate. Remember, our, our sermon today, our message is about worship, but I want to keep that word cultivate in your mind as a synonym for worship because the fruit aspect that we're getting to at the end is vastly important. 
in our future, walking with the Lord and cultivating in worship. And so I want you to remember that as we worship the Lord in any one of these ways, it is a cultivation of something that we cherish. Um, If you look at those five things up there on that list, the first four I'm going to blast through in a big hurry. So I would really encourage you, if you're a note taker, write these down, take some quick notes. We are not going to cover them uh, well enough uh, to suit each one of these points, but I would encourage you to go look into these things on your own. It's not all either an exhaustive list. This list of five things is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure you're going to think of other ways that you can cultivate a relationship with the Lord, other ways that you can worship Jesus. And if those things come to mind, please share them with each other, share them with me, stick them on Facebook, whatever you got to do, all right? So here we go. The first one is submission. We can worship by submission, which means a laying ourselves down, laying down of ourselves. This one's a tricky one. I started with the tricky one. And the reason it's tricky is because we actually have no problem with submission. We do it all the time. We submit ourselves to things all the time based on our desires or, you know, like if there's something that we want and we have to submit ourselves to something perhaps uncomfortable to get there, we're glad to do it. We just don't like to be told to do it. (laughs) That's the thing with people. We don't, and I'm the same, we don't like to be told to do it right? We like for it to be our own choice. And I want to say something else about submission too. If when you heard that word, submission, your mind went straight to Ephesians 5.22, wives submit yourselves unto your husbands, then I want to remind you, gentlemen, husbands, that the phrase right before that one, Ephesians 5.21, the very last phrase before Ephesians 5.22 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is something that all of us are called to do. It is not gender specific. This is something that we are all called to do. And not only are we called to do it, We're called to do it out of reverence for Christ. So as we revere Him, as we cherish Him, then a way of worshiping Him, a way of responding and cultivating a relationship with Him is to submit ourselves to one another. Jesus was the absolute perfect example of this. Imagine the night that He was betrayed. He's in the garden praying to his father, and he knows that the very next day he is going to be brutally murdered. So Jesus is the perfect example of this. He's in the garden. He's praying to his father. He knows that the next day he's going to suffer massively. But what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that does not happen unless you revere something so highly that you're willing to submit yourself to its will, to His will. So let me say this before I go on to the next point. 
when we find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus and the promise of eternity with Him, we find the power to submit. You're going to hear me say that sentence several times today with a different ending because this is exactly what Marcy was talking about earlier. When we are completely satisfied in Jesus, when we have that growing desire in Him, we are going to respond. It's the way we're made. We are going to find the power to respond to Him. So if, as, as I go through each one of these points, if you think, ah, that's, that's, that's not the way I'm wired. That's not true. If you are a new creation, born-again Christian, you have new affections and desires growing in your heart all the time that are empowering you to do these things. So as we find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus and the promise of eternity with Him, we find the power to submit. Here's the next way of cultivating. Sacrifice, which means stewarding our time, our gifts, or our treasure. All of us have been given things. Otherwise, we would not be sitting in this room. You would not be breathing right now. Your heart would not be beating if you have not been given gifts by the Lord. And He's given you talents. He's given you time. He's given you treasure in various ways. But here's the thing. He retains ownership of all of it. Everything that you have is not yours solely. It belongs to the Lord. And He's given it to you not to just be yours, but to steward it and do with it the things He's called you to do. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You've been given good gifts. Serve one another. Why? So that God can be glorified. So again, you see that connection. If we revere Him, if we cherish Him, and we want to seek to glorify Him, how do we worship? How do we cultivate? We do it by stewarding the things He's given to serve one another. The next one's very similar, service. This is demonstrating the gospel. This one I hardly have to say anything about because this is kind of like the, duh, I already knew that one in this list. Like we know as Christians that we should be demonstrating the love of Jesus that we have experienced by being compassionate and kind and gentle and gracious and loving and patient. And patient. Those are the kind of things that we all know that we are called to do as Christians. So that one sort of speaks for itself. What we got to say is what it isn't. When we are demonstrating the gospel, that's not the gospel. All right? That's really important to, to differentiate between. The Lord from the beginning of time has done things by words. He could have done it any way He wants because He's God. But He spoke creation into existence. He gave us his scriptures. That's how we come to know Him is through His Word. He sent prophets to speak to those in the Old Testament. In these last days, He has spoken through His Son. He does things by His Word. And so, when we share the gospel, it requires words. You got to tell the good news of Jesus. No one is going to fall on their knees and, and repent of their sin and call out on Jesus 
to be their Savior just because we were nice to them about something that didn't include the good news of the gospel. So this, this, this aspect, this way of worshiping, uh, demonstrating the gospel to others, makes sense to us, but we got to make sure that we don't get that confused with the gospel itself. Next one, proclamation, confessing the name of Jesus. That makes a nice transition from talking about sharing the gospel, right? Uh, confessing the name of Jesus. God has been proclaiming His name for all of time, all right? He does it through all the ways I just mentioned, through His Word, through servants that He sent. He even uses His enemies. Check out this Scripture. This is Exodus 9, 16. The Lord says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Does anyone remember who the Lord was speaking to? Pharaoh. He was speaking to Pharaoh. And what he says to Pharaoh is, this power that you have, it's not yours. I gave it to you. And it was for this purpose that my name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Let's not get this confused, Pharaoh, right? He even uses his enemies to proclaim his name. So how much more should we as Christians, as those who've been saved out of darkness, placed into the family of God, how much more should we be proclaiming the excellent name of Jesus? But for whatever reason, a lot of us, me included, often find that difficult. Proclaiming His name in this room when we're around a lot of people who we know think like us is very easy. We get outside of these walls and sometimes we, we stumble in that area, and I do too. So I'm not pointing a finger at you for sure. But how much more should we be doing this as a way of worshiping and cultivating relationship and obedience to the Lord? Jesus said this at the very end of the Gospel of Luke. He said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He wants us to proclaim his name to all the nations. And so, when we find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus and the promise of eternity with Him, we find the power to proclaim His name. I think I forgot to say that after the last two, so I'm going to go back. I want you to hear this. When we find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus and the promise of eternity with Him, we find the power to sacrifice our time and talents and treasure. When we find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus and the promise of eternity with Him, we find the power to perform acts of service, demonstrating the gospel to others. You will find that as you treasure Jesus, as your ultimate joy and satisfaction. All right, point five is praise, and this is where I want to camp out for the rest of the time. This one is very close to my heart, as I'm sure most of you know. I am 45 years old. I have been involved in music making of some sort or another for the last 36 years. That's four-fifths of my life, all right? Now, praise is not 
just about music. I have heard the praises of Jesus rolling off the lips of people in this room since the day we walked in the, in the back door years and years ago. It doesn't require music. But wouldn't you agree with me that music is such a glorious gift of the Lord? He invented it. We, didn't, we don't get to take credit for that, all right? He invented music. And it's an amazing gift. And we are all different and we're moved by different things. But I think probably everyone in this room is in some way or another moved emotionally by music. May not be the same kind of music. Your tastes may be different than mine. But we are moved by music and we understand that when someone says that. Like you understand that feeling of hearing music and, and just it, it does something to you. Combine that with the praises of the Lord and it's, it's incredible. So we're going to talk about this point. It doesn't just involve music, but we're going to only talk about the music aspect of it because, because of these five points, submission, sacrifice, service, proclamation, and praise, praise is unique among these five. And it's unique because it's the one of the five that we specifically set aside time to do when we gather every Sunday. We have, we get, church starts at 10, and we usually spend about 25 minutes praising the Lord in music and singing. Wouldn't it be weird? Have you ever heard a church, of a church, that like set aside the first 25 minutes to like submit to one another, being led by the submission team? You know, like we wouldn't think of that with any of these other things in the list. You know, like we come together and for the first 25 minutes, we're going to perform acts of service to one another. I mean, that would be great. That's part of what we do when we're together. But this idea of praising the Lord in music and singing specifically has a special place in our service and in many uh, services all over. And so it would be good for us to camp out here and consider these things for a bit. Why is it given a special significance in our service? Well, I would like to suggest to you a couple of reasons. One is we are called to sing. All of us, we are called to sing. It's clear to us just by looking at the structure of the Bible, all right? It's always weird for me to hold this up as an example of the Bible because I keep my Bible on here, but this is an iPad. Most of you have like physical books in your hand, but pick up your physical Bible and open it to just about the dead center and you're going to find the largest book in the Bible, which is the book of Psalms. It's the biggest one. It's right in the middle and it's a collection of 150 song lyrics. So, Singing is something, just by looking at the way our Bible is, is put together, it's clearly something that's important to the Lord. And it's not just any songs. When we look in the book of Psalms, those aren't just like any old songs. They are prophetic. Those Psalms are prophetic. And we know that because also in Luke 24, we read from there just a little bit ago, but Jesus also said this, Thus he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
there are prophecies of Jesus in, that, in those song lyrics. So, as we are called to meet with the Lord by studying His Word, we can logically come to the conclusion that singing is something that's important to the Lord. Engaging with song is something that is important to Him, that we do. Next, oh, wait, I want to say one more thing about that. Did you, do you remember this? Because we miss this so easily. I miss it all the time. Do you remember when Jesus gathered with His disciples the night He was betrayed, before He went off to the garden, do you remember what the last thing was that they did before they went out? They sang. They sang. And there is something really beautiful to me to imagine, and this is where it's good to engage the imaginations that the Lord has given us. It's something beautiful to imagine Jesus walking with His friends with a song in His heart as He's going off knowing that one of His friends is going to betray Him and He's going to suffer. And He's got this song in His heart because they were singing together. That's, that's a beautiful picture. Would like us to reflect that. Here's the next point. We are created to sing. Let's take a vote. Raise your hand in here if you created yourself. Anybody in here create yourself? Just decide that you wanted to be, and so you became you. Nobody, right? Raise your hand if you were created. We're all creations of the Lord, right? And so, because of that, when we look at Psalm 98, which says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. That's like a harp, think guitar in modern days. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. When he says that, if you were created, then he's talking to you because everything in this place was created by him. And so when he says all the earth, that includes you and that includes me. So we were created to sing. He's talking to all of us. Now, can I tell you three words that are like an arrow to my heart? And I've heard it so many times. I can't sing. Okay, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet there are a lot of people in here who've said that lots of times. I can't sing. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to like stop being Pastor Rummel here for a minute, and I want to be Dr. Rummel, the music teacher, who's been teaching for now going on 24 years, and I want to tell you this. You can sing. There's no such thing as a person who can't sing. You can sing. What you mean when you say, I can't sing, is, is this. Previously, when I've tried to sing, I haven't been really happy with the results. <laughs> That's what you mean. Or you could possibly mean, because you've had that experience, that now you're just afraid to try again, especially in a space where someone could hear you. That's what you mean when you say, I can't sing. But you can sing. Everybody can sing. So, back to being Pastor Rummel. Here's the good news. There is not one shred of evidence anywhere in the Bible 
that requires you to sing with a particular type of quality for your worship and singing to be acceptable to the Lord. There's not one. You can look all through the Bible. You will not find one word about the quality of your singing. The Lord is after your heart. He's after your heart. And He is not going to let bad notes get in the way of that. All right? It's not going to happen. The Lord does not care one ounce whether you sound, when you sing, professional. The only thing He cares about is that what you sing is confessional. Singing true things about who He is. That's singing praise, regardless of quality. Can I, can I just like let you in on a little secret? I, I sing on this stage to lead worship. I've been doing it for years. I sing at school because I'm a music teacher. I've been doing it for 24 years. I teach other people how to sing. And true confession, I don't like the sound of my voice. Now, that's a scary thing for me to say because some of you are probably thinking, I don't like the sound of your voice either. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. If you don't like the sound of my voice, that's totally okay. My point is, I had to get over a long time ago the idea that when I stand up here to serve the Lord in the way that He's called me to, it doesn't matter what I think about the quality of what's coming out of my face. All I know is that He's called me to sing, and more specifically for me, He's called me to lead this group in singing, and He's called me to teach people to sing at school. So I just need to do that. And so He's calling you to do the same thing. You can, you can sing. I understand, because I've been there. The self-consciousness associated with singing. It's singing is a weird thing because like when I play that guitar and I play a wrong note, I'm the one who made it play a wrong note. But for some reason, if I've got an instrument in my hand, I feel like I can kind of blame it on the instrument. Like it was, the, it was like the instrument that made the sound. I mean, I know I'm responsible for it, but the bad note came from the instrument. When I sing and it sounds bad, I, there's no, nothing else to hide behind. It's me. I made the bad sound. So I understand that feeling. You may feel that same way, but I love you too much to let you get off that easily and just choose not to sing. It doesn't matter the quality. Remember, worship is response. All of our outward worship is response. Wouldn't it be a bummer if the Lord changed your heart and you felt this response to who He is and what He's done for you that would make you want to break out in song, but you don't do it because your mind says, wait, don't do that. The person next to you isn't going to think it's very good. I mean, that would be a tragedy. So forget about what you think about your voice and the people around you think of your voice. Just sing. Sing. If you're still having trouble with that, if you're still thinking, I don't know, I just can't do it, then let me appeal to your sense of worship through submission. That was the first of our five ways, okay? We can, there are some of you who, like, those kind of things really resonate with. You might not be able to wrap your mind around these other things, but there's some of you who think, I'm going to do it if the Lord told me to do it. Like, if He commanded me to do it, I want to obey the Lord. So let me appeal to your sense of worship through submission and remind you that we are commanded to sing. All right, we are commanded to sing. We're called to sing, we're created to sing, we're commanded to sing. 
The Lord tells us all kinds of things that we should do all through the Bible. And His law is the perfect law that brings freedom. And so singing is one of those things. That's why in Psalm 149, the song starts like this. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. We're not only commanded to sing, we're commanded to sing together where someone else might hear you. (laughs) We're commanded to sing together, to sing in community. Did you know that there are over 400 references in the Bible to singing, and more than 50 of them are direct commands to us to sing? More than 50 commands to sing. So, the Lord takes this seriously. Like, when He says something once, we ought to listen. If he says it twice, we know that he probably really means it. If he says it 50 times, we should take this seriously. We are commanded to sing. And then thankfully, thankfully, we are compelled to sing. When you hear the word compelled, please do not hear the word forced. We're not forced to sing. I already said this today, but it's, it's, it's the, if you walk out of this room with one thing today, this is it. We have changed affections in our hearts when the Lord makes us a new creation. We have developing desires for Him, and it's those affections and desires that cause us to cry out to Him. So when, you, when I say compelled to sing, I don't mean anybody's forcing you to. I mean you can't help yourself. You can't help yourself. As your affection for the Lord grows, it's going to happen. Let me me illustrate this with Romans 8, 14, and 15, which just lit up on my iPad, so I think maybe Zach's copying it back there. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves— so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Did you hear that? You're not compelled in a, you're a slave and anybody's forcing you to do this. You're compelled in a way that the Spirit that has been given to you is one of adoption as one of God's children. And through that Holy Spirit, we cry out to the Father, not being forced to, but being compelled to. So we are called to sing, we're created to sing, we are commanded to sing, we are compelled to sing, and when we find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus and the promise of eternity with Him, we find the power to praise Him with singing. I desire that for this body of believers so much I can't even stand it. Now, I, I want to say something here for a few minutes, and I know i got to wrap up soon. I want to say something for a few minutes that is specifically to the people who gather here regularly. If you're visiting or if you're just watching online, you will probably find this to be interesting, but I'm mostly talking to members and regular attenders of Saving Grace Church. I want to kind of let you know what's been happening um, behind the scenes for a couple of months. Uh, for the sake of transparency. So back in March, right around the time that the pandemic shut everything down, we formed a team called the Worship Team Steering Committee. 
It has got nine members. I think we've had around somewhere between six to eight meetings. Several of those have been on Zoom. Last couple have been in person. Um, we will eventually get to lots and lots of ins and outs of what happens here on, with the worship team and the tech team and kind of the specifics of how we operate. But for right now, our goal when we got together was decide what our, goal, what our biggest goals should be. And so we've been working through what we decided would be the three biggest goals that we need to address in our time of worship on Sunday mornings from 10 to 10.25 with this team called the Worship Team Steering Committee. Um, it is comprised of members who are vocalists and band members and uh, people serving with the tech team. Like I said, there are nine of us. The plan is for it to operate like the advisory board. If, you, if you're familiar with the advisory board, it has a certain number of people on it, and every once in a while, someone kind of rotates off and someone else rotates on. So we've got these nine members, but over time, that will change. If you are interested in serving on the worship team steering committee at some point, I would love to know that. I would actually love to add another member or two right now who are not part of the worship vocalists or band or tech team. Someone who can bring the perspective of a congregant who gathers together and worships with us on Sunday mornings, but doesn't necessarily have the skills or the desire to serve in, in one of those other capacities. I am proud to report to you that this team of nine people cares about you very, very much, and they care very much about our time together on Sundays, worshiping through singing. They are committed to wrestling with some of the tough questions, and they are tough questions, some of them. And the reason we're wrestling with those questions is, is because we want to use to fullest advantage our time that we have together on a Sunday morning. What makes it tough, and I won't go too far into this, but it's, it's one of the beautiful things of our church is we're a non-denominational church. So when I look out at this group, I see people all over the place who have extremely diverse and varied backgrounds, right? There are some of you who come from uh, kind of a more charismatic sort of church background. There are some of you who come from backgrounds where instruments weren't even used in church, right? And so it's when we're talking about like the music time of worship on a Sunday morning, we've got a lot of things we got to figure out to be able to help you guys. Um, so here's what our goals have been from March until now. We've been reviewing our current song list We've been reviewing our process for adding new songs to the song list, and we've decided that any of those songs that we continue to use or add need to be the truth. They need to be singing the truth. They need to be delivered in a format that allows you to easily and wholeheartedly engage in worship, and they need to come from reputable sources. Here's what is not our goal, and this is the whole point I wanted to say this to you because I want you to know what was going on, but I want you to hear this. Our goal is not to tell you what you are allowed to or not allowed to listen to or sing. You have the Holy Spirit, and we trust you to listen to Him and know the difference between truth and fiction in your own listening and singing. We do not want to have nor do we think we should have the kind of inappropriate control over your lives that would presume that we can control what is in your playlist. All right, we're not going to tell you don't listen to this, don't listen to that. We're only deciding 
what songs fit those three criteria and those are the things we're going to use on Sunday mornings when we gather. Why? Because we want to maximize our ability to praise the Lord mightily. We want to be able to raise our voices loudly with much gusto, as Rodney Allshouse would say, and worship a worthy God. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Our desire is for the word of God to dwell in you richly. So that's why we've been doing what we're doing. All right, let's close. And I'm going to ask you to sing here in a minute, which is why I'm putting this guitar on. But let me just say this. We mentioned at the beginning that cultivation is the doing outward part of worship, not the fruit. We cultivate, and that's what the outward part of worship looks like. But it does bear fruit, and that fruit is massively important because that fruit is what Marcy was talking about this morning. It's joy and satisfaction in Jesus. And here's why that's important. Think about an apple. Most of you in here have probably eaten an apple. You cut that apple open, what do you find in the middle? Seeds. If you plant that seed, do you get an apple? Now you get an apple tree, hopefully, right? And it bears more fruit. And there are thousands of more seeds inside those hundreds and hundreds of apples. And then you plant those seeds and it keeps growing and growing and growing. So you may be thinking, you know what? My affections and desires for the Lord are not that big. Like I don't feel like I'm, I desire the Lord that much. But here's the thing, it cannot possibly be true. If you are saved, it cannot possibly be true that you have no desire for the Lord. He's changed your affections in some way. So what I'm gonna ask you to do here in a moment, even if your desire is small, even if your desire is huge, I'm gonna ask you to take that desire and steward it well. To take what you've been given and give it back to the Lord. Because that cultivation will bear fruit of joy and satisfaction in Him. And then guess what? You'll find that you have more desire to steward. And then you sow that, that desire and it grows into more fruit of joy and affection. So can we do this? Can you stand with me? We're going to end with Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, to your, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Present your bodies, and let's sing to the Lord. Here we go. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore. All of a life spent with. So here I am, so here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. 
all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all days. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Lift your voices. Here I am to Sing this with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all people here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Isn't there something powerful when the people of God raise their voices to Him in praise? Let's, I don't have any words left, let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you are calling us to be true worshipers of you who worship in spirit and truth. Father, please, I, my, my, my request to you, Lord, is to not allow this moment to be just a moment, Lord, but that it would be a seed that's planted that grows in this place into powerful worship of your mighty name, Lord in all the ways that you have called us to worship, Lord. But especially, Father, as we gather as a community of believers to raise our voices in praise of your mighty name, Lord, help us to grow in singing your praises. Let our, let our praises to you be mighty. Father, help people to be changed by your word. Help us to sing true things about you. Lord, change us. We desire to worship you truly. And we know you can do this thing in us. And we ask for your help in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank, you sound beautiful when you sing. It's so great. Thank you for coming. Um, if you would like prayer before you leave, the prayer team will be up here. Some pastors, actually, I, 
I'll be up here. And uh, if you need anything else, please come forward. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week.